Hey everyone, welcome back to Policy Punchline. Here at the show, we interview scholars, policymakers, and business executives about some of the most urgent issues and frontier ideas in our world today. I'm Princeton senior Tiger Gao. In the past few months, we released around 30 interviews on various aspects of the coronavirus crisis as part of our special COVID-19 coverage. But because we prioritized those episodes due to the timely fashion and urgency of the crisis, we actually delayed the scheduled release of some of our earlier interviews, which are equally fascinating and important. One group of those interviews come from the 2020 annual conference of Princeton's Julius Rabinowitz Center for Public Policy and Finance. And this year, our conference theme is development finance in fragile states. Some of you may know that I love attending academic conferences. I get to hear fascinating ideas that people are working on across the world. And I get to interview some of those scholars and policymakers about their journeys. This interview with Ms. Cruzcaya Sierra Escalante was recorded at our 2020 annual conference. Cruzcaya is a senior manager of blended finance at the International Finance Corporation, IFC, uh, which is the private arm of the World Bank. Uh, the Blended Finance Unit manages more than a billion dollars in donor contributions uh, for co-investments in IFC projects. And in this interview, we'll go over uh, what Blended Finance is and how it generally supports high-impact projects in fragile states that cannot normally attract financing on strictly commercial terms. So, as she will soon explain, by balancing the risky investments with concessional co-financing from donors or third parties, the IFC can tailor lending packages to address the needs of private sector firms in fragile areas. This is a new field and a fascinating field. Uh, I hope you'll enjoy this interview, and this is my conversation with Chris Kaya. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Tiger Gao. I think it's a pleasure to me, you know, to be back in Princeton, and given that I was here, you know, a few years <laughs> back doing my master's in the Woodrow Wilson School, so it's really a pleasure to be back, and in particular to have the opportunity to participate in this great conference on development yeah. finance and fragile states. I think it's, you know, a very important theme for development finance institutions like IFC, um, trying to bring the private sector into these very, very important you know, challenges that we have in low-income countries, in countries that are facing fragile you know, situations. So I think it's a really great opportunity uh, to be here and exchange some thoughts with you. Thanks so much. I, 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 you just gave uh, your talk around an hour ago, and I remember you said, I better start my talk with slides because if I don't really show people what blended finance is, people can interpret blended finance as all sorts of ways they want to interpret it. So what is blended finance? Would you mind telling us a little Thank bit? Thank you very much. But before I talk about blended finance, sure. let me talk a little bit about the context of, of why blended yes. finance, you know, it's important yeah. within of what, you know, development finance institutions, DFIs such as IFC do. Um, as you mentioned, the IFC is the private sector arm of the World Bank Group. And I think what it is most important in our mandate as IFC is that we see the private sector as the place where jobs are created, where we have the opportunity to lift people you know, up from poverty, where we really have the ability to you know, create shared prosperity, which is what we want to do as the World Bank Group. So that uh, understanding of how important the private sector is, not only to create jobs, but also to create, you know, financing and to allow us to finance, um, you know, development is where this, this is coming. So IFC is all 
always going, you know, to be working with private sector companies. Our clients are either developers, developers of individual projects, are you know client banks that are in you know different countries and these important actors there you know get the support of a develop development finance institution to try to create more of the what they can do so i think in that context you can think about blended finance as being one of the instruments in the toolbox of development finance that allows us to do sometimes more than what we could do just as ifc so IFC is a triple A entity, you know, we are lending, we're providing equity, we're providing guarantee, but sometimes the risk is even too much for us. And in that case, you know, we use this tool that we have, this additional concessional finance that we have. And so I'll, I'll start by defining a little bit what blended finance is now. You know, in blended finance in IFC and, you know, we have agreed to this definition with other uh, more than 20 development finance institutions that work in the private sector. is this combination of a IFC investment, so an investment that, you know, we are doing with our own balance sheet together with an investment or a co-investment that is on softer terms. When I talk about softer terms, it means that we are putting this together in a way that, you know, we are providing some level of concessionality. And that means that we are taking some risks that we are not pricing for. So IFC, with our own balance sheet, we are pricing commercially. We're trying to take the risk that private sector cannot take. That's our additionality. But in some cases, that's not enough. Then we bring this other component of concessional finance. And together, we call this blended finance. That, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in other parts of the, you know, the development uh, finance world, blended finance seems as a much broader concept. Um, and sometimes it is seen as simply, you know, putting some development finance together with commercial finance, and that becomes a this blended. Yeah. But that, you know, also will include what IFC can do on our own account. So when we talk about this blended concessional finance, it's trying to see how we stretch. Right. The stretching part is very important. Yes. The ratio that you, that you, that you mentioned. Exactly. Right? So the ratio, uh, you know, you, you are referring to, in my conversation, I was talking about this leverage. Yes. Know? And it's important to think, why do we get these funds from, you know, governments or from uh, philanthropic sources or foundations to do this stretching or this blending? What do they want? They want more impact. So as a development finance institution, we are all about impact. Impact is very everything. But when we are using these additional sources of support, we want to create this impact in a better way. So what usually happens, and we talk about blended finance helping us rebalance the risk reward. Sometimes projects are too risky. But they are these very innovative, pioneering projects that will allow us to open a market. And in that case, we could use this blended finance to actually help de-risk a little bit that project. In some other cases, projects are too costly. We are trying to test a new technology. And that technology also opens up the space for a lot of development gains. And in that case, we may decide that, you know, we use these concessional funds to lower the cost. So we are rebalancing in one way or another the risk profile of these pioneering projects so that at some point in time we can open up this space. So the, I think the exact numbers you said is that, for example, if 
IFC uh, pitched in uh, 1.2 million dollars or, or something, uh, and then you could eventually add up to the loan of, of around 8 million. Yes, so you know, this is basically what we have seen in the blended finance space within IFC. We tend to see that if we're using one dollar of this concessional finance. It intends to come with about three of IFCs on account. Yeah, sorry, I got the and order reversed. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. you are correct, three of IFCs on account, and then you have more or less five of the rest of the participants in this uh, in this project. So you have basically one dollar of donor finance to about eight, and that's where you are seeing this. And then I gave an example of one, you know, really nice uh, new platform that we have as, as IFC with, you know, collaboration with our um, you know sister organization Ida, Ida um, yeah. and and this basically is allowing us to do the platform is called the small loan guarantee program and this helps us to go to client banks in developing countries and allowing them to stretch further the lending to a small and medium sized enterprises and Ida stands for uh the International Development Association, exactly. and, and it is focused on the poorest exactly. of the countries. Yes. And so, and, and you know, basically, that is why it is uh, you know important to think about it because we are using this concessionality to try to get private sector where today there is not much participation of the private sector. So, what we are doing in this small loan guarantee program is helping the bank feel comfortable expanding their portfolio in a small SMEs because they feel that there is a guarantee or a cushion that we are providing to them for about, um, you know, 50% of the risk. So I think this extra leveraging of the donor finance is what becomes very important um, to, um, you know, the donors, to the partners that we are working on. And finally, instead of getting, you know, $1 of public finance, or of uh, uh, ODA in the market, you are actually trying to crowd in or bring in, you know, potentially eight dollars, um, you know, to a project. So I think that's the uh, beauty of, uh, you know, blended finance. So there's the one dollar, the three dollar, the five dollar. So uh, uh, just to be a little bit clear, who makes the investment decision? Say which product we uh, invest in or not? How do you coordinate amongst yourselves regarding? Uh, when to pitch in the, the, the $3, when to pitch in the $5, who to bring in. Wonderful. So thank you for me doing that, you know, putting that question to me because I think it is important to remember that one of the key principles that we use in blended finance is we should be crowding in, not crowding out. Oh, so yes. if the commercial market can do it on its own, we shouldn't be coming even as a DFI, much less with concessional finance. Absolutely. So when we are looking at this, you know, leveraging of one to, f to three to extra five, we first are making sure, can the project happen? And I'm going to walk you through the principles of blended finance. Can the project happen? If the project can happen commercially, or only with IFC's investment on commercial terms, we don't need blended finance. Ah. Right. So then, you know, there is not even a reason to put blended finance. Exactly. Teams can come and say, would you be able to come in? And we will say, you know, there is no reason to come in because, you know, there is sufficient commercial Resources appetite that you to go into this. Absolutely. Then you get into the second question, which is, okay, yes, this project is not going to happen 
unless unless you have these softer terms, this extra de-risking support, the cushion that I was mentioning. And if that is the case, you know that it is a very impactful project, but if there is not enough, you know, risk appetite, liquidity, then it's not going to happen. So you are not going to get the impact. And that is when it becomes almost a binary decision of, you know, do we want the impact? Do we think that it is important to invest in small and medium enterprises, in, you know, Cote d'Ivoire or, you know, whatever else is that we are investing? If we believe that, you know, it is an important project that have, it has a strong impact, a strong demonstration effect, then it probably makes sense for us to come in with the blended finance. Absolutely. And that is why uh, when the question was actually being asked in, during the panel about the, the quote-unquote crowding out, you actually said it's important to remember that I think blended finance only consists of 10% of what IFC uh, does or, or even less, uh, right? Uh, even less, exactly. So if you look at IFC's you know, activities, not even 10% of what we do is supported by blended finance. Yes. On the other hand, when you look at some of the most challenging sectors, so, you know, a small whole farmer agri projects in Africa, probably those, you know, in 40% of those or 50% of those, we may need to have there, at least at the beginning, the support of blended finance. So there is a big variety of things because markets are either readier for private sector or not. True, absolutely. Uh, and and that, is, that is when you say, uh, this is something really, really worth happening, but it's just the, the support, the risk tolerance isn't there. So we give them the extra cushion yes. and, and boost up the, the investor. Yes. Awesome. That, that, that totally makes but, sense. But that's not when we, we don't, you ask me, how do you think, how is your thinking process about this? So that's an important condition. And I would say it's a necessary, but it's not sufficient. Not sufficient, <laughs> yes. So what makes what, it sufficient? What, what are the other <laughs> things? Then I need to know how much support do you need. And that's what we call the principle of minimum concessionality. Principle of minimal concessionality. Which is the idea is if I am going to support you and not charge for the risk that I'm taking, I want to make sure that I only support the private sector enough to just make enough. it just enough to make it come in, but not beyond, because otherwise I am oversubsidizing it, and then you get the criticism, and then what you want really is at the end of the day that the private sector can be vibrant and doesn't need any support. You want to create commercially sustainable markets. And if you go in with too much capital, you're killing the the organic kind of growth process so or the market structure. You know, I'll give you an example. You know, in, in the past, I have gone and actually discussed with some private sector, you know, entities in some countries where there is a lot of grant money that they are receiving from government agents, from philanthropics. Why would they take a loan if they can get a grant? Because they don't need to... To repay it. Exactly. It's, it's a rational, as a rational actor, if you can get a grant, you won't want to take a loan. So it is only when you start seeing yourself as a bigger company, you want to grow, you want to employ more, then, you know, you basically see that the forces of the market are a good thing for yourself. And I think what it is most important from, you know, our perspective is to ensure that we are reinforcing that market. And I mentioned two things there, commercially sustainable markets and reinforcing markets. 
And those are two additional principles of when we work on blended finance we think about. Can we be there only for a small period of time so that in the future other projects either need less support and eventually they need no support at all? That is something we want because we don't want to be there with permanent subsidies. If there is an industry, if there is an area of development that needs permanent subsidies, then probably it's not for us as IFC focusing on private sector development, the which probably is not our role. Maybe it is the, the, the host government that needs to work, or maybe it's even the World Bank or some of the other DFIs that focus on sovereign um, you know, activities. But if we are focusing on the private sector, we want to make sure our ultimate prize as, is that there is a commercially you know, viable private sector that flourishes in that you know, country. Because we know that the jobs are coming from there. We know that that's where, you know, commercial investors, we were talking today in the panel about institutional investors, pension, uh, you know, uh, funds and, uh, you know, others, um, commercial insurance, insurance commercial insurance. We were talking about all of those. If they don't see commercially viable transactions, they will not go in. They will not go in. So that's our ultimate goal. You know, support the first ones, support the pioneers help demonstrate, but then step back. So how is the, the, the progress so far? So I, I guess IFC has done, has done it for a couple of years. Have you kind of tracked on the country's growth? What, what, what are some of the good case studies yes. and so examples? I'll, I'll give you a few case studies because you need almost to have the start align. Yeah. to make sure that you have this evidence. Yes. And you need to have had a number of repeat deals so that you see how the level of subsidy that minimum concessionality, how that concessionality decreases over time so that we can get to commercial markets. Yeah. And I'll give you a couple of examples that are more on the climate space because that's where we started to blend early days in the early 2000s. And we have a few repeat projects, if you wish, in the same uh, either country or in the same technology or in the same area. Yes. So one of them is we had worked for a number of years with banks in Turkey Yes. that were focusing on um, sustainable finance, so climate-friendly financing. They were supporting uh, small renewable projects, energy efficiency projects, but they were doing it at a very small scale. So some things that we did as IFC is to help, you know, create more a business line for some of them, where it was the sustainable, you know, a sustainable finance business lines that they had, so that it becomes a product that they offer to the market. At the beginning, they were very cautious, like, I don't know how to do due diligence on a project that is climate friendly. It's much better to just lend to my corporates. That's my business, the business that I know. So at the beginning, we had to provide them some, you know, softer terms, technical assistance, which is another important aspect. Blending is not enough. You need to bring also the technical assistance. There should be good enabling environment there to work. But, you know, we had be four you know transactions that IFC did within a few years in with these banks and from the first to the third in which is basically the ones that blended finance participated we had about 25 percent of the subsidy in the third one of what was needed on the first one and the fourth one we were not needed anymore wow so you could really see the growth so you can really, really see mature. that you know it, the, the, 
the, I will say, the uptake of this new business line, you know, from the bank, and then the banks continue to do it on the regular. We have helped them prove that this is a commercial business. Because a lot of the times, they, all they need is just a little bit of su more support at the beginning. And they could really take off in the future and, 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 and be self-reliant. Yes, I'll give you another example, which wow. is much more real sector, right? So not with the banks, but more with companies. So a lot of the wind uh, farm development in some yes. parts of Mexico were done, um, you know, a few years back, probably 10 years back, they were done mostly with a public funds, so they were public sector infrastructure government infrastructure uh, projects. Yeah. Then, you know, at some point in time, both IFC and because it's Latin America, also IDB, we did a couple of projects that had some blended financing to help cushion some of the risk because at that moment in time, although now, you know, wind development, especially in the US, but also throughout the developed markets, you know, it's pretty much commercially viable. Uh, same thing with solar panels because technology is ma more proven, the cost of, you know, the, the equipment has gone down. But at that moment in time, there was uh, still some demonstration that needed to happen. So we did a couple of projects, one IFC, one IDB, we worked together on those. After that, no, we didn't need it, I even need to do it with our own account financing because the commercial banks came in and they are doing it now. Well, see, I always had the idea that a lot of the time, so I have, I have some really good friends in Princeton. They uh, re recently started a startup a couple of years ago uh, called WellPower. Basically, what they do is they uh, help bring fresh water, clean water, uh, to Africa. And, and they, they've been doing wonderful, impactful work. And they've had a tough time getting venture funding, you know, because venture capital is re requires certain returns. But then... They would go to uh, case competition or things like that and pitch it to World Bank and would get you know very different results. But often I, I, I think about th those kind of projects. Uh, when we talk about on young entrepreneurs, when we talk about those uh, impactful projects, do, uh, do they eventually become sustainable on themselves or even profitable? Or, or, or like what, what's the kind of projects or goals that you eventually uh, that we that we hope to make? Uh, I think. We, uh, you may recall in the panel, we also talk a lot, a lot about the importance of working through financial institutions and through intermediaries. Big development banks and big institutions usually cannot get to the individual entrepreneur that you know is just starting up. Absolutely. And that is why supporting many times fund managers. Yes that are getting to that individual entrepreneur is very, is a very important. And that we can come in, you know, either as IFC alone or IFC plus blended finance. But, you know, especially if we're going to go into, you know, areas where equity, you know, this entrepreneur money is not available. I think that that is what becomes important. So it might be very difficult for us if it is a very small, you know, entrepreneur that is just starting to do it directly. But what we can do is work through some of these fund managers. Absolutely. To get there. Very similarly, when we're, you know, we usually ourselves cannot get to the very small SMEs, to the small enterprises that need financing. So one is equity through the private equity funds. The other one is just loans. We may not be able to get to the very small loan, you know, that it's, you know, 100,000 or 50,000. But if we work through our 
partners, the domestic financial institutions, we can give them a credit line or if they have enough liquidity in some markets, we can give them this risk cushion, this guarantee to support them and then they do the lending. Th does that sound... Uh Sounds something like what Chris Walker is doing with Mercy Corps and, and actually investing in. Absolutely. So he is the in, he's basically going into the individual invest, investments and investing himself. And he was telling me that you know basically their ticket size is about you know three hundred thousand. Wow. Some some of them are you know more, some of them less, but you know this is relative, relatively small. small and yeah. you heard him also saying because they have embedded subsidies as well, they have some grant money from foundations and all that. They also have this mentality of being there at the beginning, but then trying to make sure that in further rounds you get other people that are more on the commercial minds Absolutely. to come in. Because you you cannot grow a. Uh, entrepreneurship space just by having Mercy Corps or International yes. Finance Corporation. Like, like the, you, you need the commercial people to come in. Absolutely. And, yeah, that's, yeah. and that's why, you know, at least from the DFI perspective, that's another important thing that, you know, we do, which is usually we take minority stakes. When we take equity, we are, you know, on a very small percentage, you know, usually 10, no more than 20% of the company. Um, when we are doing debt, when we are doing a big financing of a project, we usually don't take more than 25% because we want the sponsor to be there, we want the other financiers to come in so that we can, you know, get the market moving. And IFC's uh, sort of role is more like saying, we give you the political and monetary commitment that, we, that we, we, we help you provide the cushion and we acknowledge that this is something meaningful, but we are not going to do all the work for you. I think, you know, as you say, for me, it's maybe I'll summarize it. In, that's our additionality. We need to see why we are needed. Why is that the commercial market shouldn't be there? And as you say, we are coming here, maybe it's our standards that we can bring. You know, maybe if there is lack of long-term financing, maybe is that tenor, the extra years that we can bring. And then if, you know, the risk is even too high for IFC to be there, then we may also bring this other tool, the financial engineering that we can do with blended finance. I think that's a great segue to my next question is that, what do you think is the next step for sort of uh, international organizations to evolve and what kind of a role will they start taking on? Because I think there's a lot of focus on, you know, localization, decentralization, letting, focusing on local problems, letting local communities grow, letting local business grow. Uh, so does that mean big uh, organizations like World Bank and IMF will start to take more of a sort of a hands-off role in the sense of more like, uh, uh, Showing commitment, but not devoting all the hands-on energy uh, into those places. Will that be a trend? So I think you you will see a few different trends, and I think one of the realities and the panel, you know, today spoke quite a bit about that. The needs are just so large to try to finance the sustainable development goals that you need everyone and everything. And then if you highlight also what are the needs of the lowest income countries and countries that are facing, you know, fragile situations, which has been the focus of today's, um, you know, conference and yesterday, um, you really realize that you need all these multiple interventions. So in some countries, 
there might be lack of liquidity and then you know multilateral development banks actually may need to lend the, in some countries and we heard today you know some of the very interesting uh, research that is being done by some of the colleagues at Bocconi and here in Princeton that are looking at the long-term lending and the lack of long-term lending, in particular in fragile states, and what is needed. In addition to the regulations, you know, the, there might be that there is, in the short term, a very important role for development banks to demonstrate that you can do long-term lending. What we need to ensure is that, you know, we are where we are needed, and that is our additionality. Not that we are where the private sector is already interested because then we get into the issue that today we discuss as well, which is the crowding out. And that's what we don't want to do. Absolutely. Well, uh, because our, the name of our show is Policy Punchline, we always ask our guests at the end, what's the punchline here? What would be your policy punchline? Uh, for you know our listeners to take away that you hope our conference uh, participants take away about uh, development I will put not only about development but the focus of the conference which is development and fragile you know states and I think the policy punchline there is that we are still learning quite a bit as to what is needed we know that we need to do things differently we know that we need different instruments, and that was the panel today that I participated, new instruments for this. We also know that we need new partnerships. We need the academia to come together with the policymakers. We need the policymakers to come together with you know, the investors. And all of us are creating you know, new partnerships to be able to solve these development challenges, which you know, in some countries are a little bit easier to solve. In some others, when you have, you know, these fragile situations, when you have really significant poverty in the countries, we need to try and put together all of the toolbox Absolutely. Absolutely. to put it together. So for me, that is the punchline, you know, new instruments, new institutions, you know, new partnerships. Thank you so much for joining me and, and ending it on such a Wonderful note, Ms. Sienna Escalante. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Always my pleasure. And, and I think the, for me, the, the takeaway is that we, we should not look at development in sort of a black and white uh, way in, in the sense that, oh, all the international organizations must be all hands-on or they must all leave. They must all do this or that. It's very nuanced. Sometimes what you need is lending, a lot of lending, liquidity. And sometimes what you need is just a little bit, the minimal uh, concessionality. You just help them a little bit. You push the markets a little bit. So it really depends on the context what, what we do. And I think that's just a wonderful, such a wonderful lesson you, for us. You are learning. finishing up in a wonderful way because you also are putting it back to the localization. Exactly. You need the context. You may need different partners from every part of the globe, but you really need to understand the context. So thank a you absolutely. again. Absolutely. No, no, no. Thank you so much. And this concludes this episode of Policy Punchline. Please follow it. Uh, us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, across all the platforms, and uh, rate and review us on policypunchline.com. And you may uh, read more about IFC and blended finance work uh, on IFC's website. Thank you so much for listening today. You've been listening to Policy Punchline, a podcast generously supported by the Julius Rabinowitz Center for Public Policy and Finance at Princeton University.
We would also like to encourage you to follow other podcasts produced by Princeton University, such as Politics and Polls by the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. Policy Punchline is intended to be informational only and does not reflect nor represent the views of Princeton University or the Julius Rabinowitz Center for Public Policy and Finance. For more information on subscription, donation, volunteering, or contact, please visit policypunchline.com. Thank you again for listening.